Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Secretary of the State Contenders, Democrat Stephanie Thomas and Republican Dominic Rapini had been scheduled to meet in a Connecticut public debate last night. But Rapini canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. That's according to his campaign. And there are now efforts to reschedule that debate before Election Day, November 8th. But today, where we live, we talk more about Rapini and Thomas's campaigns with News 12 political reporter John Craven. Plus, former Secretary of the State Denise Merrill joins us later to discuss the early voting in Connecticut campaign she's leading. And we explain more about the ballot question before voters this November. Now, what questions do you have about Connecticut's general election? You can join us, too. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Share a comment on Facebook or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. John Craven joins us now on Zoom. Again, he's News 12's political reporter. John, welcome to the show. Thanks. A uh, longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So to be honest, I was pretty disappointed uh, that last night's debate was canceled, John. I don't know about you, but I, I just felt like it was the, the general public's first chance to really hear a good bit from both candidates. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I was too. I think we were expecting some fireworks. I mean, look, um, Dominic Rapini is not a wallflower, so uh, I don't think it was from a lack of wanting to debate. Uh, he has a lot of opinions. So he's very vocal about them. So hopefully everything's OK with him and his family and hopefully we can reschedule. But um, I mean, you really could not pick two more different candidates than Rapini and Stephanie Thomas. So break it down for us, for some listeners who may not be following this. It's one of uh, several constitutional uh, offices that are up for uh, on the ballot this November. So you mentioned Representative Stephanie Thomas, who's a Democrat, and Republican Dominic Rapini. They're, be, they're very different in their platform. So break it down. Yeah. So in some ways, they're actually more similar than you might think. I mean, look, when we think about Connecticut elections, just like every other aspect of state government. Um, you're dealing with some very old computer systems. Um, yeah, both of them see this as a priority. It was a priority for Denise Merrill too. Um, upgrading the computer systems. Uh, and, and again, we run into this in Connecticut all the time, right? You have 169 towns. They don't really work with each other all that well. And they all have sort of their own registration systems. So the secretary of the state's office has really tried to sort of get everyone upgraded. There's a, 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 a closed network that, you know, um, connects those computers so that they can report results. Uh, both of these candidates want to upgrade that. They, they do both want to uh, deal with security, but it, kind of where the rubber meets the road here is, is, you know, how much is election fraud an issue, right? And um, you know, if you look at Dominic Rapini, um, you can't 
you can't really deny, you know, some of the tweets that he's put out in the past, you know, after the 2020 election, uh, he was either tweeting or retweeting um, a lot of conspiracy theories and false claims about Dominion voting systems, their machines, uh, about the electoral count in swing states like Pennsylvania. Um, he has since backed off of those claims. Um, another thing about Rapini is that uh, he ran uh, an election security group uh, that got a rare rebuke from state regulators um, for filing so many of what they called, uh, you know, frivolous, uh, uh, frivolous complaints. Um, Rapini uh, is now sort of distanced himself from, from that group too. Uh, but those are things that, you know, he's going to have to answer for. Certainly Stephanie Thomas would have brought them up in a debate. Um, Stephanie Thomas is really focused on more of what a lot of you, a lot of what Democrats focus on, and that's expanding voter access. And that's something we're going to be talking about later in the show too. these constitutional amendments. Right. And Dominic Rapini, so I, I believe he's a salesman for Apple. Uh, he's a football coach. Uh, he lives in Branford. You know, what got him interested in this particular uh, to run in this particular race? You know, I, I think it's what, well, I, I think it's what a lot of people, you know, say when they first run for office, that he felt like that he could make a difference, that he was frustrated uh, with what he sees as a, a lack of election security. Um, and, you know, you mentioned his technology background. That's something that he's uh, sort of pitched as as why he would be good for this job. Um, you know, again, there are real technology shortcomings in our election computer system, uh, he feels like he's really well suited to to do the upgrades. Mm. Uh, when you talked about um, some of the his past tweets, uh, and I'm wondering when we, we think about, you know, Connecticut and, and moving forward on our, our voting laws, as well as, uh, you know, cleaning up uh, some, you know, prior incidents, I think he often points to what we see in the city of Bridgeport when it comes to absentee ballots. So can you tell us more about like, the context surrounding his, his his claims about, you know, voter fraud. Yeah. So it really comes down to what constitutes ab absentee ballot fraud and 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 how that relates to election security. Right. Um, you know, we have had these instances, uh, notably in Bridgeport, as you mentioned, but there have been other communities, too. Um, but a lot of the issues that we've covered in Bridgeport have more to do with uh, the campaigns themselves. They have uh, canvassers, volunteers, right? And so Bridgeport has a lot of folks who live in uh, senior centers uh, who can't go out to physically vote. Um, and so a, a big strategy for campaigns, especially for the Democrats, is to get volunteers to go to these senior centers and uh, help people apply for an absentee ballot uh, and then facilitate them getting these ballots and making sure that, you know, they actually they actually vote. Uh, that's been decisive in, in a lot of Democratic primaries in Bridgeport. Um, the issue that tends to come up a lot there uh, are, you know, uh, either, you know, canvassers accused of um, signing the ballot, signing the application or the ballot itself for the person, um, having people apply for ballots who aren't qualified, uh, who don't qualify for a ballot. Um, that was the issue and the Democratic primary for mayor uh, back in 20, uh, 2019, I believe, um, you know, the Ganim campaign, the Joe Ganim campaign was accused mm -hmm. of, um, you know, pressuring people to uh, to vote absentee for him. But 
again, a lot of those issues have to do more with the canvassers and the volunteers themselves. Um, you don't really hear a lot of complaints about the security of absentee ballots themselves. Uh, and, and I think that's something that Rapini is going to have to answer for. Stephanie Thomas has made this point, and so has Denise Merrill a bunch of times, that uh, the, the security of the ballots themselves is rarely an issue. You're hearing John Craven here where we live. He's News 12's political reporter. As we talk more about the race for the next Secretary of the State here in Connecticut, again, Democrat Representative Stephanie Thomas from Norwalk running against Republican Dominic Rapini of Branford. Uh, That debate last night needing to be rescheduled. Uh, If you have questions about this race or about the general election ahead on November 8th, you can join us too, 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we li- live. I'm looking at what he has said, uh, Dominic Rapini, when it when it, we talk about improvements, uh, John. Um, he suggested watermarks on ballots, new digital scanners, and a service strategy so cities and towns can afford upgrades. That all makes sense. Uh, when we think about these uh, both being endorsed candidates, you know, what has Representative Stephanie Thomas um, offered up uh, for her plans to bring innovation to the Secretary of the State's office? Yeah, to be honest, they really don't differ that much in this regard, right? Uh, Both of them agree that there are technology improvements that need to be made. Um, I think both of them want to work a lot with the towns. Again, you know, you think of elections, elections really aren't nationwide or even statewide, right? I mean, they're really done at elementary schools and and, uh, community centers, uh, you know, precinct by precinct, town by town. And so really, you're almost having 169 different elections. Uh, And um, each town, you know, they have their own registrars, they have their own system, they sort of all do it their own way. Um, So I think both of them have pointed to a lack of uniformity uh, in the way all the towns do the election, and and again, some technology shortcomings. Uh, So they really don't differ that much. Again, I think the way that they really differ is that, you know, I think Rapini is going to push for uh, election security measures sort of above and beyond what we've seen before. I mean, if you can only look at states, you know, like Georgia, for instance, right, that have passed uh, more restrictive voting laws uh, have pushed for maybe uh, uh, you know signature verification, which the Democrats uh, in Connecticut have have fought back uh, over and over again. Um, I, I think those are the kind of measures that Rapini would push for that Stephanie Thomas feels like just aren't necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, coming up, we're going to be talking more about the early voting ballot question ahead. But when we think about early voting, what has Dominic Rapini said about uh, that uh, coming to the state or even uh, expansion of absentee ballots? You know, uh, we had him on our weekend power and politics show uh, when he first got the nomination a couple months ago. I believe we asked him about that. And I don't believe he's opposed to it. you know, and, and Stephanie Thomas obviously is fully in support of it, too. I, I think he's a little more wary about no excuse absentee balloting. That's really where uh, conservatives uh, have more concerns. I, I think most conservatives, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but most conservative politicians I've talked to seem to be OK with uh, in-person early voting uh, with certain bumper guards, safeguards in place. Mm. 
I'm looking at uh, WTNH uh, when they spoke with uh, Mr. Rapini. He did say he would support early voting if the legislature came up with the extra funds needed to support the additional staffing of part-time election officials. So that's interesting. And uh, before we uh, head to break, uh, John, uh, when we think about the role of Secretary of the State, obviously the state's top elections official, but they're also involved with business registrations. And so I'm wondering if either <laughs> candidate, ooh, that's really sexy. If either candidate <laughs> <laughs> talked about, you know, again, innovations and helping with that part of the office. You know, I'll be honest. Uh, I have not asked them a ton about that. But I mean, look, you're right. It's actually a major part of the job and it's not sexy. It doesn't get talked about a bunch. Um, but, you know, again, you know, we, we have really outdated computer systems uh, in state government. Uh, that's been a big push of the Lamont administration to to try to get those upgraded. So uh, I would suspect that both of them are going to be looking for more funds and maybe more people to do those upgrades. Mm. Again, you're hearing John Craven, who's News 12's political reporter. Uh, He's going to stay with us as we talk more about uh, early voting. Again, this is a ballot question before voters uh, this November. If you have questions about it, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Uh, John, I have to ask, you know, when we think about the Secretary of the State's race, you know, is this assume that the Democrat in the state of Connecticut would win? Is this an uphill battle for Dominic Rapini? What are you hearing? I mean, it's definitely an uphill battle, right? I mean, in general, Democrats are are favored to win in Connecticut. Um, But the largest voting pool in this state are unaffiliated voters, and and those numbers keep growing. Uh, Unfortunately for the Republicans, they're the ones that are losing more registered Republicans to this unaffiliated pool. So that doesn't necessarily bode well for their candidates. Um, You know, but you know, it's it's the the same battle that's playing out in the Republican Party nationwide, right? I mean, this battle between sort of traditional New England style Republicans, uh, the Lowell Weicker types, uh, and you know, a, a more hard right Republican like Dominic Rapini, um, and and it's very interesting. I mean, look, you know, the Republican Party uh, nominated two farther right candidates for the ballot, uh, Leora Levy for Senate uh, and Dominic Rapini uh, for Secretary of the State. So I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how voters respond to that. Uh, But yeah, I mean, just by by pure registration numbers alone and past history, uh, the Democrats should have the advantage here. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Again, coming up, former Secretary of the State Denise Merrill will join us. She's leading a campaign to inform voters about the early voting ballot question this November. You can join us, too, with your questions, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. 
loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Now, Connecticut prides itself on leading on policy, but our state is among four states that does not permit early voting. That's us, New Hampshire, Alabama, and Mississippi that do not permit pre-election day in-person voting for all voters. That could change this November with a ballot question before voters. It's something Denise Merrill, former secretary of the state, has worked towards in her time as Connecticut's top elections official. And despite resigning after after three terms due to a family member's illness, Merrill is now working on a campaign to educate voters about the early voting ballot question. She joins us now by phone. Denise Merrill, welcome back. Can you hear us, Denise? Oh, it sounds like Denise can't hear us, so we're going to try to get her on the line. Uh, Meanwhile, John Craven is still with us, who's News 12's political reporter. So, John, when we think about this question on the ballot, uh, you know, should early voting be permitted and voters will vote either yes or no, it's taken a little bit to get to this point. Can you talk about the mechanism? Yeah, and Denise is a veteran of this, so I won't steal her thunder, but I mean, look, some people forget this was actually on the ballot uh, eight years ago in 2014, uh, and Denise really spearheaded that effort. Um, the ballot question failed, um, and uh, she really feels like it was a confusing question. And it was very wordy, a lot of legalese. Uh, you know, a lot of people I don't think really quite understood the question. So um, this year, uh, they really tried to make the wording simple. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I think it should be a lot easier for people to understand this time around. Uh, So a big part of what she's doing uh, is education now, right? Um, Letting people know, hey, this thing is on the ballot. This is what it will mean to you. Uh, Don't forget to vote for it in November. Right. And you can join us if you have a question about that ballot question. Our number 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. While we wait to get Denise Merrill on the phone, uh, Aaron from New Haven is calling in. Aaron, can you hear me? Aaron, can you hear me? Well, it looks like uh, the caller cannot hear me, so we're going to have to figure out uh, this uh, tech issue. So, John Craven, looks like it's you and me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Again, we're here to talk about uh, early voting. Again, this ballot question uh, before voters this November. But I'm wondering maybe if we uh, just focus right now on abs- access to absentee ballots. That was expanded this year. So from your reporting, can you talk about you know, you know, what happened and what that means for uh, this com- upcoming election? Yeah. So um, COVID came along and people were afraid to go vote in person. Um, And so Denise Merrill and Governor Lamont uh, came up with this idea to uh, 
essentially let people vote absentee. It wasn't for any reason, uh, but if you felt unsafe because of general illness uh, in the population uh, from going to the polls in person, you could then vote absentee. That was an emergency order. It was extended a few times uh, and it was very popular. I mean, I think a lot of people who had never voted by mail before uh, did it and they ended up really liking it. And I think that popularity has continued. Um, last, sorry, not last year, uh, earlier this year, um, state lawmakers actually amended the state laws a little bit to uh, sort of expand out what the definition of illness is uh, in terms of being able to get an absentee ballot. Now, under the state constitution, we're not allowed to let people vote absentee for any reason. Uh, more on that in a minute, because they are trying to change that. Uh, but um, they were able to tweak the state law that governs um, you know, what qualifies as an illness. Mm -hmm. And before, it was pretty restrictive. Uh, it basically said, you have to personally be sick uh, to vote absentee. And so they tweaked that to say, essentially, illness in the general population counts. Um, and so that should open up absentee balloting to more people. They also closed uh, what was considered sort of a, a commuter loophole. That's a big deal down here in Fairfield County where I work. A lot of people work in New York City. Uh, they make at home at 7.30, uh, which I guess technically gives them time to run over to their local school and vote. Um, but technically, you were not allowed to vote absentee if you were in Connecticut at all uh, between the hours of 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. And so they they closed that they closed that loophole too. So now uh, commuters can also vote absentee. Nice. So to recap <clears throat> these temporary changes, you're eligible to vote or ask for an absentee ballot application if you can't vote at your local polling place due to illness, due to disability. When we talk about illness, including COVID, so being sick or due to a disability for themselves or also for another person, John? Well, it, yeah, I mean, so now if you're a caretaker, for instance, um, you can also claim illness. Um, and, and I think people were doing that before, but it wasn't really technically, I think, the letter of the law. So now that's spelled out in statute that, um, you know, that if you're a caretaker, you can vote absentee. Um, and, and again, uh, sort of broadening the definition of illness to include general illness in the population, which, you know, it's something that we never really had to deal with before, right? I mean, we never had a pandemic uh, that would cause people to be, in general, afraid to be around crowds at a polling place. Again, you can join us. I'd give you the phone number, but our phone system is down. So you can find us on Twitter at Where We Live, also on Facebook. If you have a question about some of the election uh, topics that we've also brought up, we're hoping to get Denise Merrill uh, to join us soon to talk about that early voting ballot question. Uh, when we uh, think about, again, um, some of the other mechanisms in our state, so we're, we don't have early voting. Um, it's good to see that there's access improving for absentee ballots, John, especially during the pandemic. Um, what are some other things that you're looking at when we think about Connecticut's restrictive voting laws when compared to other states? Yeah. Um, so I worked in Texas for eight years. And, you know, say what you will about you know, 
the way Texas conducts its elections. Um, but it is very easy to vote in Texas. Um, I could go to the grocery store and vote on Sunday while I was picking up my groceries. Um, and then, you know, when I moved up to the Northeast, I was like, what the heck? You know, I have to <laughs> take off two hours on Tuesday, uh, which, you know, journalists were all working on election day anyway, uh, to wait in line and vote. So I, I think this will be a lot more convenient. I mean, so it it's a two-step process, right? Um, there are two different ways you can vote early. You can either do it in person uh, at designated polling places um, during designated times, or you can uh, vote absentee by mail. And, and the first thing that folks are going to be able to vote on is the in-person uh, early voting. And that's going to be on the ballot this November. It looks likely that um, uh, no excuse absentee ballots will be on the 2024 uh, ballot. Uh, and that's just because Connecticut has a really long, arcane process for approving constitutional amendments. And we can ask Denise Merrill all about it. She now joins us on Zoom. Denise, I hope you can hear me now. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> Don't, Hi, Lucy. How are you doing? Don't you miss these days? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> well, Denise, Surprisingly, I guess. <laughs> Denise Merrill, it's great to hear from you. Again, you served three terms as Connecticut Secretary of the State. Uh, you resigned to ca help care for a family member who was ill, but you're still leading the charge uh, to make sure that voters have the right information when they see that ballot question asking whether um, early voting should be uh, in the state of Connecticut. So, so tell us about that ballot question and the work you're doing. Well, yes, this is something I didn't think I could leave to fate or chance uh, to get it passed because I know ballot questions are tricky. Um, you know, sometimes people see something and if they don't know exactly what it is they just won't vote one way or the other and that's what, I, what worried me about this so uh, we did launch an effort i helped launch it there are others involved uh, many other groups uh, who are supporting the idea that connecticut should join join the 46 other states that already have early voting in their states uh, and pass this uh, amendment so what they're going to what people will see on the ballot uh, is the language that will say, shall the constitution of the state be amended to permit the General Assembly to provide for early voting? Very simple, very straightforward. But of course, when people see the language changing the constitution, uh, if they don't know what it does, they might be nervous about that. Um, actually, it is a change that's long overdue. As I said, 46 states already allow other days of in-person voting. I want to make sure people understand this is not extending absentee balloting, although I do support that as well, um, or vote by mail or anything like this. This is still in-person voting. Uh, and it would just be different days besides just Tuesday. You know, for years, people have said, why are we voting only on Tuesday in November? Mm -hmm. You know, while that might be easy for some people, and I heard all the narrative John was relating about his experience in Texas, um, you know, there's a lot of people for whom it is not so easy and they don't have time to stand in line or even go to the polls because they have other obligations. You know, I think of uh, parent working parents, seniors, for example, voters with disabilities, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it really became clear during the pandemic when people really could not get to the polls for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly I think this has attained more attention than it had before. 
And again, when I talk about you leading this effort, this is the Yes for Freedom to Vote Early campaign. So this is a nonpartisan referendum committee registered with the State Elections Enforcement Commission. You're allowed to raise money to promote the issue among the electorate. So, so far, this question on the ballot seems pretty straightforward. That was not the case in the past. So so that's a good thing, Denise. Yes, and we didn't leave it to chance this time. Uh, We wrote the language right into the legislation that created the ballot question. Mm -hmm. So I hope that people will see it, understand that it means that we will provide more access for people to voting, which I think uh, everyone wants. And it it did have a pretty healthy bipartisan vote uh, this time around. So I'm hopeful that there will not be any kind of organized opposition to this. You never know, though, until the Mm -hmm. last minute. Some people still feel like we shouldn't be changing anything, uh, you know, and that, you know, it's no secret that across the country uh, there have been uh, many efforts to turn back some of the uh, reforms that have been made uh, in voting. So we are literally the only state this year that's providing more access to the ballot uh, for our citizens. Right. And now when we talk about uh, the the vote ahead for uh, the ballot question, uh, if registered voters approve this ballot question in November, what happens next? So now it goes back to the state legislature to finalize the rollout? That's correct. Uh, The legislature would still have to act to make this real and to make this actually happen and be implemented. Uh, And that they could do that as early as uh, the next session. And and in theory, it could be ready to be uh, available for the 2023 local elections. Sometimes we like to try things out when it's not so crowded. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, 2020. I'm sure people remember there were still long lines in many prob- in many places, you know, to vote in the presidential election. Uh, but more likely it'll be in 2024 by the time the legislature has to act. They have to decide exactly how it will work. And I don't know if you talked about this earlier, but there are 46 states doing this, 46 different ways of doing it. Uh, some states like Texas have, I think, almost a month to, in which people can go in and vote. Uh, and some states have three or four days. Uh, So there's a lot of different ways we can do this. And Connecticut, as usual, is kind of an outlier. We have very local elections. You were talking about how Mm -hmm. it's really held in 169 towns. We've done a lot, actually, to try to standardize the procedures, and it's heavily regulated, as we all know. You know, elections are fiercely fought over (laughs) every year, no matter what. So uh, we'll have to work that out within the way we currently do business. Um, You know, I have my own opinion about how I'd like to see it work, but there may be others. Well, uh, you know, again, I'd love to hear that uh, coming up where we live. Uh, But I'm wondering when you talk about what you just said about how the local elections are really run by, uh, you know, the local towns. And so when we think about if early voting is approved and if it comes to our state and, uh, you know, what would be needed to make sure um, that it's done, you know, as efficiently as possible? I know the the Republican contender for uh, secretary of the state had said he would approve it, but making sure that there's enough part-time election staff. Um, So I'm wondering if you can talk more about them. Well, yeah. I mean, in a lot of states, it doesn't require you to open every polling place, for example, for every day. Usually it's done, uh, for example, in Massachusetts, you go into the town clerk's office, which is where you go if you want to get an absentee ballot now. The clerks play a pretty strong role in elections here. And so it wouldn't be any different than the way you vote 
on an, on a Tuesday. Um, the same securities, the same procedures would be in place. So there's not a lot we'd have to change in that regard. Um, and the decision that the legislature would have to make is how how many polling places will we require to be opened for how many days at what times and who's going to pay of course right. <laughs> uh, right now you know most lo- local elections are paid for by by the towns um, but it's a tiny portion of their budget I think in most towns it's about half of one percent of their budget I personally think elections are underfunded at the local level uh, so but you know it's one of the most important functions that we have as a government and a democracy so you know the idea that it might cost a little more money does not trouble me uh, mm-hmm. and I I doubt that it will, honestly, if if they do it correctly. Mm. John Craven still with us, News 12's political reporter. Ah, the funding question. Uh, so when we think about, uh, you know, where the money is going to come from uh, to staff, you know, if early voting does come to the state. John, what did you want to add? Well, I think Denise probably knows all about asking the legislature <laughs> for money, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We've, we've been pretty successful, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, actually, I, I kind of want to dovetail off what mm-hmm. uh, Denise was saying, though, because I, I talked to Stephanie Thomas about what the rollout could look like if she's elected. Um, she said that if she becomes secretary of the state, she really doesn't see this happening in 2023. Although I think Denise makes a good point that, you know, local elections are sort of a a good test run before you have a, a, a you know statewide elections in 2024. Um, although I think in 2024 most of our elections would be um, congressional races. Um, but uh, but she she told me that she doesn't really see this rolling out until 2024 because she wants to really give the towns time to to get ready for it. Um, and I asked her what she would how long she thinks the people should be able to to early vote. And and I was sort of surprised. Uh, I think she said that she only envisions it being a couple of days, uh, maybe about a week or so before the election. Uh, and Denise is right. Some states have you know open early voting very early uh, and do it for almost a month. Uh, and uh, and again, there are questions about, you know, how many polling places there are. It, it, most states, it's not all the polling places that you would have on actual election day. Um, like for instance, I live in New York state and uh, I have an early voting polling location uh, that's you know considerably farther away than my neighborhood uh, polling location um, on, on election day. And, and New York started early voting, I wanna say in 20, was, I think 2020 was the first year that we did it. Again, that's John Craven, News 12's political reporter. Denise Merrill's also here with us, former Secretary of the State for Connecticut, who's now leading this campaign to educate voters about the ballot question before you this November. Should early voting voting be permitted in our state? Again, you can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We did get a, a tweet, uh, Denise. Uh, New Haven Votes uh, wanted uh, to hear your perspective on whether you support a state-level Connecticut Voting Rights Act, similar to the one just passed in New York to provide an additional mechanism for voters to challenge unfair or inequitable voting policies? And how can we get it across the finish line through the legislature? What can you tell us? Uh, This issue came up last year, really in response to what we've seen around the country in terms of 
really attacks on voting rights and in some cases uh, violence, uh, even against election officials. I have to say I'm very glad we have not seen a lot of that in Connecticut. So this this issue hasn't been as big an issue as it has been in some other places. But um, I, I do support the idea that we would uh, have a Voting Rights Act in Connecticut. I think it would be helpful because it would give citizens um, more rights to challenge what they see. We already have a pretty strong system in place to challenge uh, anything that people see at the polls, whether it be you know what they consider improper actions uh, every election day, we have a robust committee that meets uh, all day long during elections with uh, involving law enforcement agencies, um, my office, my former office, uh, the Office of Election Enforcement Commission. So um, while I would say it's an important issue, I think in Connecticut, we're doing pretty well as it is. Nothing is forever, though. And so I think the idea that you could get it through the legislature, it might be possible. I didn't see a lot of opposition to it Mm -hmm. as much as I saw kind of other things being a higher priority in elections. Uh, John, so this act concerning election and state voting rights uh, proposed last session but did not pass, as Denise mentioned. This would have built on the Voting Rights Act of 1965. What can you tell us about this session and, and, you know, why this was stalled? Yeah, I mean, Denise hit it on the head. I mean, it, it just sort of got caught in the last minute shuffle. Um, you know, even though lawmakers have what, you know, three, four months to get their business done, um, they always seem to wait to the last second to uh, vote on a lot of these really the, these really big bills, you know, and, and I'll give Matt Ritter, the uh, current House Speaker, a lot of credit. Um, he has really done a good job of trying to uh, space the calendar out and and make sure that there's time to uh, get priority bills passed. That has not always been the case previously, where a lot of things just got bunched up to the last second and a lot of things fell by the wayside. Um, you know, in terms of sports, you know, uh, you could say he's uh, really good at clock management. Um, so, but this is just, again, one of those things. It was, a, I know it was a high priority for the secretary of the state's office. It, it, it didn't quite get voted on. Um, but uh, I suspect once we get past the 2022 elections, we're going to have a new legislature in place. Lamont or Stefanowski, whoever wins, is going to come in with a mandate. Um, and uh, I, I think we'll sort of hit a reset there. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I, I suspect there'll be more time to debate it then. Uh, Before we let you go, uh, Denise Merrill, you were still Secretary of the State when the hiring process began, I believe, for an election analyst to tackle misinformation. Uh, We did not receive an update from the current Secretary of the State's office on the status of the hiring. But can you speak to the continued concerns around misinformation as we get to the midterms and, of course, the presidential election in 2024? Sure. Yeah, this was a very high priority for me when I saw what started going on, even here in Connecticut, around um, really crazy kinds of conspiracy theories, misinformation that was passed around on the Internet uh, that we needed to know about before we found out about it. Because by the time we found out about some of these things, it was too late to dispel the myth, whatever it was. I mean, we had one myth going around about someone had seen a truck full of ballots and the ballots were spilled all over the highway and therefore they weren't going to be counted. It was completely 
mythical, uh, yet it took off uh, in an actually kind of astonishing way. So we, that was why it was such a high priority to get someone on staff who could monitor some of this. And so we would find out about it in time to put out you know, corresponding uh, right information, correct information about what was going on. Uh, and so I, you know, I'm sorry to say, I don't know if that person has been hired. I hope so. I know you have to do you know, quite a search before you get these positions in place. But the idea is that person would look to things going on about Connecticut only. You know, it's not a, a great, uh, with one person, you can't do a lot of searching, but you have someone who's there watching what's going on and maybe uh, giving us the information about the kinds of questions out there. Mm-hmm. John Craven, do you want to add to that uh, with any of the reporting you've done on you know the funding for this misinformation officer and you know what's the holdup? Yeah, well, it hasn't been popular in some circles. Let's just put it that way. Uh, you know, a lot of Republicans have pounced on this idea, saying, first of all, we don't need to be spending that much money on, on a person to do this full time, uh, questioning whether there's really enough Connecticut-related misinformation out there to justify a full-time salary. Could this be farmed out to uh, another company or something? Uh Others have suggested that, you know, it's the information police and that they're going to censor, you know, uh, perfectly valid uh, First Amendment viewpoints. I mean, I I think there's some valid questions there uh, about, you know, what kind of power this person's going to have and what exactly uh, is going to be weeded out. You know, uh, I talked to Scott Bates, who's uh, the guy with the secretary of the state's office who uh, is really sort of spearheading this this project. Um, And he said, you know, look, uh, we really want to get ahead of these things before they become mainstream, right? I mean, a lot of these conspiracy theories, you know, like the, uh, the box, the box truck full of ballots uh, that Denise mentioned, uh, a lot of these start on the dark web, places that a lot of us don't spend a lot of time on, but a lot of conspiracy theorists do. And so they're really looking for someone who uh, it has some experience, you know, monitoring those types of sites, uh, some experience about how groups like 4chan and 8chan operate um, so that they can sort of get ahead of of those rumors before they make it to the general population. And, and you know, Scott's answer to me was that, you know, if you want someone with that level of technical expertise, you know, you're going to have to pay them a competitive salary to get it. That's John Craven, News 12's political reporter here where we live. Thank you, John, uh, for that. Denise Merrill, we want to thank you for joining us, former Connecticut Secretary of the State. We appreciate your flexibility today. (laughs) It's nice to be back, Lucy. (laughs) Thanks for asking. You're welcome anytime. Coming up, we're going to talk with Sherry Quickmire, Executive Director of Common Cause. Uh, Common Cause, one of the groups critical of Connecticut's voting laws. Are laws among the most restrictive in the country? We'll hear more from Sherry right after a quick break.
is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We've been talking about Connecticut's general election coming up, what to expect on the ballot. Now, Common Cause was one of 20 advocacy organizations that signed a letter to Governor Lamont and legislators criticizing Connecticut's restrictive voting laws. To explain, joining us now on Zoom is Sherry Quickmeyer, who's executive director of Common Cause in Connecticut. Sherry, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much, Lucy. It's very nice to be here. Now, in that letter, uh, you and the other organizations stress that Black and Latino voters are disproportionately affected by limited access to absentee voting, no early voting, and longer voting lines. So uh, talk about some of the concerns. And, you know, we had that ballot question before us uh, this November on early voting. So, you know, your anticipation that some of this uh, will be addressed moving forward. Yes, I'm actually very um, encouraged by the fact that we made it through two years of legislative sessions to to get the ballot measure on on our November ballot. And I think that the polling that's been done and the general consensus is that Connecticut voters support the idea of voting early and and certainly, as the secretary mentioned, and as John Craven mentioned, there was a lot done by the governor and the secretary to make sure that that people were were um, able to vote when they were concerned about uh, COVID and that they would be able to vote early or vote, you know, by absentee without all the usual complicated excuses that we have been expected to provide. So I think that that was very successful. And I, I look forward to continuing to provide additional access to voters in the state because the more access that people have, the more likely that is that they'll vote. And this is the case around the country. And we've certainly seen in in uh, Georgia, for instance, I mean, we work around the country, uh, about two thirds of voters in November voted early. In Florida, about half the voters voted early in person. And I think that 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 is something that we should be striving to here. And I'm very happy this is on the ballot this session, that the language is much more understandable than it was in 2014, and that people will understand that this is another opportunity mm-hmm. and another way to make things more accessible. So when we think about accessibility, uh, what about, you know, for English as a second language as speakers who, you know, uh, who are registered to vote, you know, what's being done to ensure that they have the the, the accurate information in their language to help them uh, not only to register, but also to get to the polls, Sherry? Right. Well, the well, that's sort of two different things. One right. um, is that the state has been pretty good about providing access to Spanish language um, ballots, and that is Spanish is the probably almost twenty percent of the population speaks Spanish, and and uh, that's you know a very important language group to you know to make sure is included. We have smaller other language groups, um, some sort of uh, other Indo-European languages, as they're called, like Portuguese and Italian, French a bit, and 
And we do have um, increasing numbers of people who are speak various Chinese languages. And that we're not so good at providing um, access to ballots. So I'm. I think we could do better. I think the secretary's uh, website could be more accessible for people, and not everyone has a, <laughs> has the ability to use use a computer to find that information. So more information should be available at the polls or in town halls and. And uh, we would certainly encourage that to be the case. Getting people to the polls is another whole issue. Mm -hmm. And that has traditionally or historically been the case in the in this state um, that uh, the various party um, people, the apparatus that exists for the Democrats and Republicans, spend time getting their people to the ballot, to the polls. And um, I think we could do better than that. And I think we could do more, basically. Um, but it is, it is a very complicated thing sometimes because after redistricting, some polling places were moved. People don't always necessarily know where they're supposed to go or they get to one place and are told they have to go somewhere else. It's complicated. It is complicated. John Craven still with us, News 12's, News 12's political reporter. Uh, John, you're out there talking to people. And when you think about uh, this upcoming election, you know, what are your final thoughts here? Well, I, I think we all would like voting to be easier, right? And, and Sherry's exactly right. I mean, if you are working one or two jobs, maybe you don't have a car and you have to take the bus to work, it's really hard. I mean, it's an inconvenience for us to, you know, take off an hour or so to vote on a Tuesday. But, you know, if that's your life, um, it's downright impossible, really, to to uh, to make that time on a Tuesday. So I, I think that's going to be the message that Denise Merrill and the others make uh, to get people to approve early voting. I mean, you're really appealing to not just people's convenience, but you know, this is a core function of democracy. And, and you know, you know, do you have time to exercise your rights as a citizen? John, you I, it's, I, and Sherry, we're almost out of time. Go ahead quickly. I did want to say that I think it's clear people do want to vote. They absolutely do. But they have kids they have to pick up after school. They have to take them to various various events and they have jobs as john said maybe two jobs and it's complicated to make yep. all the puzzle pieces come together to get you on a tuesday to the right. to the polling place so so our voters now know registered voters look at that ballot question uh, when you go to vote november 8th sherry quickmire common cause in connecticut's executive director and john craven news 12 political reporter thank you both so much for coming on the show i'm lucy nalpathanchel today's show produced by katie pellico have a great weekend.